Welcome back to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan, and today's episode is with Liza Sperling, the head of product marketing at Upwork. Liza and her growing team subscribe to the full stack product marketing approach. We go deep into how each of her PMMs is adept at all the phases of product marketing, whether it's strategy, positioning, go-to marketing, or growth and adoption. Women in Product Marketing is proudly supported by Clue. That's Clue with a K, the competitive enablement platform for all product marketers. This podcast is produced by Sharebird, the peer mentoring platform for product marketers. It is the place to discover on-demand resources to help you with product marketing. And if you have any feedback on our episodes, so things that you liked or things you want to hear more of, please send me a note on LinkedIn or feel free to email podcasts at sharebird.com. All right, let's do this. Hello and welcome to Women in Product Marketing. I'm your host, Mary Sheehan from Adobe, and today I'm thrilled to be with Liza Sperling, the head of product marketing at Upwork, which is a freelancing platform where enterprises and individuals connect. Liza is hiring many senior PMMs this year, so this is a great time for her to be on the show. She's also held VP of product marketing roles at Stack Overflow and Spark Post, and has also led marketing teams at Tongle and ClearSlide, and she's really done it all. So really excited to talk to her today. Liza, thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mary. I'm thrilled to be here. Awesome. Well, let's kick it off. I'd love to hear a little bit about something that you've done that has scared you lately. Wow. With the big questions, right? This is certainly relevant. Over the past two years, about two years at Upwork, I've built our team from scratch to seven people. And in 2021, we're doubling our team. I'm really, really excited to grow the team, but this requires a lot of strategic decisions, including completely rethinking our structure and all of our cross-functional partnerships. I think the other piece is it, it also means a lot of change for everyone. And I want to ensure that we don't lose the team's guiding principles and especially our scrappiness. We've worked really hard to establish that. And I think it's a big piece of what's contributed to our success. So I want to make sure we maintain that across the team. Well, it sounds super exciting. And it sounds like you're being really thoughtful about the growth there. So I'm sure you'll succeed. But thank you so much for sharing that. I think it's really helpful for everyone listening out there. And I wanted to talk a little bit about your role today at Upwork. So I think, you know, I'm a huge Upwork fan. I've used Upwork for everything from competitive Intel to actually helping me plan my wedding several years ago. So thank you, Upwork. Really was thrilled to get to hang out with you today. But I want to hear more about your role and what you guys are all about. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for using Upwork. I love hearing the use cases. We also use our own product for competitive intel and and a range of other purposes, but the wedding planning I have not used, I'm going to pass that (laughs) along to the team as another idea. So at Upwork, we are the world's largest work marketplace and we connect businesses with independent talent. Our platform empowers everyone from solopreneurs or one-person startups to Fortune 100 companies to work with freelancers to unlock their business potential. And as I mentioned, our team is growing quite a bit, partially because of the climate that we're in. I like to say it's because the hard work we've done, but I have to also recognize that given the pandemic, this is certainly a really interesting and exciting time to be in the space where so many companies and actual talent are embracing remote work. 
So my role specifically, when our CEO Hayden Brown hired me, she was the chief product officer at the time, was verbatim to develop and lead a scalable strategic product marketing team to drive measurable impact. And I keep this quote on my desktop to remind me daily. We keep it in our team operating system, and it is very much our North Star that we continue to focus on. So that's a little bit about me and the company and the team. That's super helpful to hear. And I think that you have a really interesting approach on your team that I haven't heard a lot about from other interviewers. And that is about the full stack product marketer. Can you talk a little bit about that and why you feel the full stack product marketer is really the best way to go for your team and the way that you're scaling? Great question. Yeah. So this kind of started when I was at Stack Overflow and when building out product marketing at Stack Overflow, I noticed that in our hiring of developers and other candidates, we always asked for full stack. And there was a real emphasis on that criteria. And I started to think about how we might apply that in our product marketing methodology. And the more that I thought about it, the more it makes sense. In my experience, the best product marketing teams are not limited to just GTM or just positioning and messaging but they're driving value early at the strategy phase and continue on long after the launch. So in building out our team at Upwork, I've really deliberately and intentionally hired full stack product marketers who are really adept at all four of what I consider the product marketing phases. So strategy, positioning and messaging, go to market, and then driving growth and adoption. We mirror this from our recruiting process to how we work, even leaning into the agile methodology. And I'd say, you know, I often get the question, why not hire specialists? Why full stack? I'd say there are two reasons why full stack, I think, makes a lot of sense for product marketing. We are all almost always outnumbered by product manager peers. And we're a small team typically, you know, regardless of company relative to other teams. So as a result, being flexible and agile and being able to adapt and quickly take on new initiatives is critical. And we really need to be able to quickly assess the needs of the product and jump in at any stage. And that means having a shared set of skills and a shared knowledge set so that whoever actually has bandwidth can jump in at whatever stage it is, assess what that product needs and figure out what product marketing needs to do to drive value. So we don't really have the luxury of being highly specialized in a particular area. I think the second reason that it makes a lot of sense for product marketers to be full stack is it really helps our team culture, which is very, very heavy on collaboration. We rely on each other to help each other out quite a bit. We are very busy and I don't want to say overtasked or over or under, I'd say we're under resourced because we are hiring, but if we didn't have the ability to rely on each other, I think it would be a real challenge for our team. And so because we share the same skill set and mental model of those phases, collaboration is that much easier for us to pull in a peer to help us out when needed and move around as needed. Make sense? Yeah, it does. It's really insightful. So flexibility to just into any type of challenge to be able to work with multiple product managers to not get really siloed into one area and then also collaboration to be able to share and work in an agile method which we want to get into in just a minute to talk and really progress everything that you're working on so those both make total sense I love that and I think we both were talking earlier about Lisa Kant's interview she is a fan of you know the generalist type of approach for product marketers and recommend 
recommended a book range, which I've been reading ever since and talks a lot about the focus area on being kind of that all around athlete versus really specializing and gives a lot of really good examples. So yeah, I really agree. I think that's really great. Would you say that you'd have the same approach if you were at a huge company, a really big company that had, you know, a hundred product marketers on their team? Would you say that there would need to be, everyone would be a generalist or would you think that there'd be an opportunity for there to be more specialists in that kind of environment? That's a great question. I'd say I'd skew towards everyone being a generalist. Maybe there'd be a few specialists and I can see certain areas where it would make a lot of sense. But I think being a generalist is actually a benefit for everyone on my team because they're so well-versed in speaking across all the phases. And I mean, even heard from our PM partners, one of the things they really value about working with our PMMs is that they sit down and talk about the phases and they almost think about it as here's a menu, here are all the options, here are all the things we do here, here, and here. So they're really acting not only as a, as a partner, but a thought partner and an educator and helping pull the PM along and helping them realize what product marketing can do. And so I think the teams that really get limited, even at large companies, but you see it a lot at less mature companies are when product marketing gets shoehorned into, you just throw something over the fence when you need it to go to market or when you need some positioning and messaging and throw it over the fence. So I think having a broader range really allows every PMM on our team to stretch and become a product marketing expert versus a specialist in a particular area. That's a really good point, especially if you're paired up with a product product manager or a product management group to be able to have that full stack experience or that full stack kind of toolkit approach where you can help them with the market validation, the strategic planning, mm-hmm. you're talking about the positioning messaging all the way to launch and then post-launch. I think that that kind of relationship helps to add value along every part of the process of getting that new product to market. And so it really helps with that relationship and not having a PM turn around and tell you two weeks before launch to throw a blog post together. So right. that's approach. that makes sense to me. I also think it's fun. Someone asked me recently, what's your typical day in the life? And obviously you'll probably laugh hearing that question too, because there yeah. is a typical day in the life for a product marketer. But I think it's because a lot lot of us have that more full stack approach where, you know, you're dipping into a research meeting to get customer insights, and then you're handling some positioning for a product that's newer to market. And then you're working on some launch details. And then you're also looking at your numbers and making sure that everything is working for the programs and the product launches that are out there in the world. So I think it's fun to kind of go back and forth and, and code switch a little bit there too. I I completely agree. And it's funny because when I go through reviews with the team and ask them what they really like, it's almost uncanny. Everybody really values that change and flexing different muscles. So it's really worked out well. I don't know either I've chosen people who really embrace it or I got lucky. I'm not sure, but I hope we can really continue to expand this notion because I think it makes a lot of sense for the business and for the individuals in terms of their careers. Absolutely. And speaking of careers, when you're hiring for these full stack product marketers, what are some of the things that you're looking for? 
Yeah. So I mentioned the four phases that I typically think about for product marketing. So it's strategy, positioning and messaging, go to market, and then driving growth and adoption post-launch. So one of the things I'll usually do is just ask a candidate to walk me through the product development process and share what value they contributed at each phase or what their role was at each phase. And that gives me a really good understanding of whether or not that candidate understands the value that product marketing can add at each phase and how to partner with other partners at each phase. It's not important to me that they self-identify as a full-stack PLM. I don't think that that's something that most people have on their resume. If they say that, Maybe great. Now. I, yes, if anyone's listening that and you're looking for a, a senior PMM role, I'd love to chat, but it's more important. And it's not even important that they understand agile methodology or any of the terminology. It's really more important that they understand the full range of product marketing and the value that we can add across the entire cycle. Because I think when I'm talking to a candidate who's really focused on one particular area and I ask about other areas, that really gives you an indication that they either aren't comfortable in that area, haven't done much work in that area, and may need some help in that area. It may not even be an area they're interested in pursuing. That's a really good way to kind of understand all of their different tools that they have along the way. I really like that approach. And you've also used this not just as a hiring mechanism or an organizational mechanism, but you've also used this in order to run your team more effectively with agile methodology. Can you talk a little bit more about how that works and why that's so important for your team? Yeah. So it's actually worked pretty well. I won't say that it's a direct model that you could go to Atlassian, grab their model and apply it to your product marketing team. I don't think it can be that literal, but I do think there's a lot of opportunity to borrow some of the concepts and the pieces of Agile. So one of the things we have adopted that have worked really well are daily standups. We've also done sprints around a few initiatives and have seen great success with sprints as Mm. well as Yeah. I mean, it really has helped us get faster, get tighter. It helps other teams have more visibility into what we're doing. And it also helps us partner better and communicate better with our product and engineering peers, because that's a language that they understand. And that's the way that they work. So we're not asking them or suggesting that they understand how we work. We're mirroring how they work. And then the last place where we've tried it, where it's been also really effective, and this has just been the past couple of quarters is resource planning. And I had a lot of doubts about that, you know, can I put units of people against projects? And so I took the product roadmap and their plan and did drop in units of product marketers. And I did that with a lot of hesitation. It felt a little weird and mechanical. But with the expectation that it's just guidance, it's a pretty good way to get a sense of how we're going to prioritize resources. And it's a pretty good way to see whether or not we need to hire more, bring in more, et cetera. So it's worked well for the past couple of quarters. So I'm surprised at how well it's worked. That's really cool to hear that it's worked. You've tried it. It's running smoothly and it's shown success. And it speaks the language, importantly, to the engineering and product teams too. So they understand what you're doing. You have the sprint. Kind of tactically, how do you do it in a virtual setting? So I actually did this with a team a few years ago and we had a whiteboard with a bunch of post-its on it. (laughs) We track it. It was, everyone was in the headquarters. So it was pretty easy, but how are you actually tracking? tracking this sprint planning and how are you making it work in a virtual environment? 
Yeah, great question. I will say the one thing I miss the most from the office is a, a big old whiteboard, but <laughs> we, we've made do. And I have to tell you, we played with, our team is kind of known for playing with anything new that's out there that we can try and, and get some value of that's whiteboard-esque. So tactically, we have what's called a product marketing roadmap. And it's a template that I've built in Google Sheets. It's nothing particularly fancy, but it's very color-coded and it is very much a roadmap where we can drop in different units of work and also drop in pieces that are further out. So it's not a perfect mirror, but it's pretty close. And to the degree that sometimes when people look at it, they wonder if they're looking at an agile structure because they're thinking, gosh, this looks a lot like product and engineering workflows. So that's worked pretty well. We've also used a tool called Coda, which Mm. has some amazing templates. I am a huge Coda nerd and they know it because I spend a lot of time requesting different features in there phenomenal at delivering them quickly. But Coda has a lot of really great templates that make it much, much easier. And you can start with one of them, everything from doing retros to brainstorming to the full agile workflows, you can build them out. We do have Atlassian, but we haven't used it for product marketing. It, it just has been a tougher adoption for the way that we work. Got it. Okay. Well, we'll definitely check out Coda. And yeah, I mean, Google spreadsheets, there's not much better than I that. I have, yeah, I saw my old tried and true, I have to say. So agree with you on that. So I know we talked a lot about full stack and sort of the skill set, but in general, what do you think makes an amazing product marketer? I love this question because it comes up a lot. And I think I actually haven't heard a lot of different answers. I've heard maybe five or fewer, but I have a very strong opinion. I think it's, there are two things. I think it's really strong ability to prioritize what will have impact on the business. We're not a big team, but we have and should have big impact. So knowing and doing that means identifying what's going to have the biggest impact on the business, not just in a small area or around a certain product or feature, communicating that that's where you're going to focus and really sticking to it and saying no. The second area, which is highly related to saying no, is being able to build really strong cross-functional relationships and partnerships. And so those two things, the prioritization and those cross-functional partnerships are critical and they work hand in hand. We're the most cross-functional team in the company as product marketers. We are heavily dependent on these partnerships, not only for us to be successful, but they're also heavily dependent on us for their success. So that means we have to have really healthy partnerships, shared vision of success, reciprocal exchange of value, which I think is huge and sometimes overlooked. I think sometimes... I've gone through phases in my career where I didn't have, I thought that I was always, you know, the role was for me to give things to the product manager, but it really needs to be a reciprocal exchange of value. And you need to build that trust so that you can have the tough conversations and going back to this prioritization piece, because, you know, you have to be able to say, Hey, we agreed that these are the most important things to tackle this quarter. I know you really want to do this thing. If I do this, I'm going to have to drop something else. What do you suggest we drop? And really talking it through as as partners, but I don't think that everyone is necessarily right at their first job in a place where they can create these partnerships or have these tough conversations. So it does take practice and mentoring and it gets easier over time. 
I love both of these points and I love the intersection of them too. So prioritization of what will have the most impact and those cross-functional partnerships. And I really, I tell my team this all the time, but don't underestimate the importance of an amazing plan because that helps you say no and helps you have those strategic conversations. Even if it's just a list of your top priorities in order, I think putting that together and sharing it when a stakeholder asks for anything from a new event to 16 one sheets for every vertical you have. Both things I've been asked for multiple times and kind of recently. So I think that, you know, when you explain your plan and the strategy and the measurement behind it and why you have those goals, not only do they understand what you're working on and want to be your champion, but I think they respect you more too. And I think it really goes a long way for the relationship. So a good tool to kind of take the emotion out of it too, when you're being asked for something that you don't think is very strategic. Right. And I'd add to that. I love that point about it being a tool. I think it is particularly important that it's documented and written down and shared because it's much harder to have that conversation without looking at the same framework. People don't remember what you discussed three weeks ago or in an email or in a Slack. So really having this built into your process where each quarter you're sharing the priorities and you're shaking hands on it. And so that as you have these conversations, it's not that you're saying no necessarily. You're saying, hey, this is where we thought the priorities should be. Has our point of view changed? Has the business situation changed? What's going on? And it might be that that particular individual has something that's really pressing them, something that you don't know about. And that's also an opportunity to talk about it and say, hey, is there some sort of internal urgency around this that makes this more of a priority? Then let's get it done. And sometimes you have to bend the rules, but you need to understand and talk about it to know when it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Understanding the motivations, I think is key. And yeah, the documentation, I totally agree with. And the repetitive nature of a plan and sharing it every quarter, because I think everyone, especially with being on so many Zoom meetings all day, I think everyone really has more of a goldfish memory than ever before. (laughs) So I'm realizing you know, the multiple channels of communication say the same message. My goal is to have someone tell me, Mary, stop talking about your plan. I know it. I've never had that happen. (laughs) Nor have I. That would be such an amazing moment. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like I have the messaging down pat. I can recite it. You do not need to tell me about it again. Yeah. I've been saying that recently too. I do not think we're annoying our internal counterparts ever. I think we need to say things more often. So now jumping into one of my favorite questions, when is a time that you failed as a product marketer and what have you learned? One of my favorite questions as well. I think we all have a long list of these. And if we don't, we will soon acquire them over time. They're battle scars, if you will. I think we can all think of launching opportunities for learning have been times where they weren't launches. I can think of one instance in particular, we were rolling out some major infrastructure changes and product marketing was involved early. Our assessment was that the changes would have minimal customer impact. And we were assuming that the launches or the changes went as planned. So it was wasn't a launch. It was essentially a rollout of changes. But while we had a go-to-market plan based on these assumptions, what we didn't consider or truly understand is that any delays would then impact other pieces of the customer experience and really have impact across the entire customer experience. So we ran into delays initially. The implications became obvious up front. 
So we were really behind the eight ball and spent a long time trying to figure out what would be the delays of this delay and that delay and the next delay and really developing customer communications on the fly. So I think the lesson learned there is sometimes non-launches can be really important launches, if you will. And if I were to do it over, it would be to take more time to understand the changes themselves and how they impact the underpinnings of our offering for our customers. That's such a good point. I think that's why it's so important for product marketers to have a full scope view of what's happening on the product roadmap at all times, no matter if it's something that you're leading an external launch for or not. So great lesson to share there. Liza, I was wondering if there was any specific piece of career advice that you would want to share with our women PMM listeners in particular. Yeah, I think this one is near and dear to my heart because I think we often hear that women should be more vocal or louder or lean in, quote unquote. And one of the things I've noticed, and this is coming from somebody, I am very vocal and I tend to be not have a trap, not have a challenge leaning in. But I think it's really important for women not to emulate someone else's style, but to find their own voice. So there are many successful and influential product marketers who have a lot of influence without being being loud or vocal and being able to influence or lead a team really can be done in many different ways. So I think it's important to find your own voice and find your own leadership style and really to have your own point of view. It's really not important to follow what somebody else has done or to emulate their style in a particular setting. And oftentimes that can really be the kiss of death. So I think the more you can figure out your comfort level, whether it's having sidebar conversations and really driving influence one-on-one in those relationships or in big forums. There's really space for both styles and everything in between. I really love that advice. I think that that kind of authenticity really lends itself to having more confidence in the job too, rather than trying to pretend to be someone you're not, you know, coming and maybe stepping into a new role, stepping into a role that's an up level for you. And then also trying to be an actor on a stage, you know, emulating someone else. I feel like that's ripe for disappointment and would be really challenging, but leaning into those things that make you special and make you a strong leader, whether it's, you know, what is popular at your company or not, I think is really great advice. Lean into your authentic voice. Thank you so much for saying that. Yeah. And as a follow-up to that, I can think of two examples of two of the best women that I've had the opportunity to work with who have been very soft-spoken, but really fine product marketers. They have their own very different styles, each of them. And that was something they had to develop because if they were to try and emulate the loudest voice in the room or the person that speaks the most in the meeting, I don't think that would be effective. And I certainly don't think they'd be comfortable in their own skin. So they found their voice and, and they really have the successes followed. Absolutely. That's great. And I was also wondering, since we've been talking about this a bit on some of the other podcasts, when are you at your happiest professionally and personally? When do you feel like things are just going as best as they possibly can? I'd say tactically, Wednesdays are my favorite day. (laughs) I love that. (laughs) I clear my calendar of everything that's standing or recurring. And I focus on two things. One is sort of the deep thought work, thinking through problems. How do we prioritize based on limited resources? The second is sort of thought partner calls, which I call on one-on-ones. And that's when I talk to partners, team members, talk through what's on each other's minds, generally off camera, generally unscheduled, really just open conversations from the cuff where we can really 
talk openly about some of the challenges we're facing and be creative about potential solutions. And I generally do this in a different, this is a little bit strange potentially, but I do this in a different area of my apartment. So I have a different space on Wednesdays and I clear a space and have a view. I'm, I'm in dog patch in San Francisco and I look at these old rusty ports and I'm usually doing this with a lot of coffee and my dog napping. And it's when I really feel grateful for the opportunity and the challenges in my role. And also in those moments when I'm able to help others unlock it, that feels tremendously amazing as well. So that's sort of the professional day of the week for me, if you will. That's so great. So know that if you're going to ask Eliza for a favor, it should be on Wednesday. (laughs) Jokes aside, I think that advice is so awesome and tactical. And I am definitely going to steal the part about the un-one-on-ones. I think that's amazing. I think that there is a lot of lack of unstructured meeting time right now because everyone wants to just get their work done and go be with their families, have a life, be on as, as little video calls as possible. But I think something is missed in not having that serendipitous time where you can just kind of, you know, have water cooler chat, talk about different things that might not be directly related to work. but I think it might even spur more creative ideas. So I love that you're making space for that. And I think that just changing it up in a different location, that is so great because I'm starting to feel in my own little (laughs) office, like another day in the office. (laughs) So I think that that's all really great advice and something people can implement right away. And I also love that it's on a Wednesday. I know a lot of people like myself that try to cram in the deep thought work on Friday, and then you're just kind of tired and trying to wrap things up or Monday, you're inbox is full. Everybody wants a piece of the action from the PMM team. So I think Wednesdays are great because it's just the midweek check-in. So all really good takeaways there. What would you say motivates you inside work or outside of work? I think what motivates me quite a bit and is helping someone do something they thought they couldn't do. And it could be a customer, it could be a friend, a family member, a peer. And maybe it's because then it also helps me realize that I can do much more than I thought I could. You know, one example is getting my mom recently set up with a remote space. She's a big bridge player on the tournament scene and has recently shifted that to exploring online art classes. And while she's not particularly technical, she would like to be. So she had a lot of really great equipment that she bought and needed some help to set it up. And that's tough to do remotely via phone calls, but that was a lot of fun and getting her to a point that she had her remote set up to a place where she could play bridge in one area, or if she wanted to dive into her art, had a space for that. It was a challenge. And there were many moments where I thought I would give up. Another example is trying to explain Bitcoin to my stepdad, which was... (laughs) particularly comical, but I think helping people do things or helping people understand things. I have a lot of fun with that, whether it's small or large. I think the other thing that really motivates me specifically for work is when someone on my team gets recognition for their work and I keep a file of these and I probably embarrass my team, but whether it's a quote or a snippet or an email or a call out, I think it's really important to remember these and to keep these for yourself. If you're somebody who's developing your your career keep these that they're incredibly inspiring you often forget about them and oftentimes a certain email or quote can make you feel really good it inspires me to see my team get these and I know it helps them stay inspired and motivated when they're having tough days 
Those all sound so rewarding. And two thoughts on that. One, I feel like we could do a whole podcast on explaining Bitcoin to your stepfather. (laughs) (laughs) He'd be glad to join. Super interesting spinoff. But I also love the, you know, setting up that bridge setup for your mom. That must have been so rewarding to be able to connect her to something that she loves when people are feeling so isolated. That's so great. But I also love the part about the snippets and the, you know, virtual high fives. We call them gold stars on our team. So I do the same thing. I keep kind of a running file and love to embarrass them and bring it up at team meetings or throw it in Slack and take screenshots when people put a great comment about our team out there. So I think that's great. And I think that ongoing type of recognition and celebration is so important, especially right now when we can't, you know, literally give someone a pat on the back. So I think that's great. And thanks for sharing all of that. Now I'm going to move into some of the rapid fire questions just to close this out. And first up, who have been your strongest product marketing mentors? So I think that the strongest obvious mentors have been leaders in other functions. So heads of sales, product, even a few VCs. And the reason for that is they've helped me develop a really strong sense of empathy, how they feel, what are the numbers they're on the hook for, what keeps them up at night, what are their concerns? Because as product marketers, we have to be so truly tied to the needs of our partners. So really understanding and getting to know, like not just in a call or two, but how does the VP of sales think about, you know, work on a daily basis or challenges on a daily basis, you know, similarly peers and product or investors. So that's been really helpful. I'd say the other has been this concept of friend tours, which is a little strange, but it's evolved organically. But there are two people who are peers. They have an understanding of my role and vice versa. We meet monthly. We talk about progress, share resources. We make intros. I think the most important thing is we do talk about things we're a little bit scared about and not confident in, and we're very vulnerable with each other. So not only do we share things knowing that it's in confidence, we share things that we perhaps wouldn't share with others because we don't have the same context. So it it feels a bit safe. It's not as if you're sharing things with people that you see on a daily basis. They also have the ability to really troubleshoot from an outside perspective. That's so great. And unsurprisingly, you have some great branding on one-on-one and front tours. I think that's awesome. How do you find a mentor? How do you even get started finding? I love the concept of, you know, non-PMM mentors, you know, to get in the walk a mile in the shoes of some of our stakeholders and the front tours, but how would you recommend going about finding them? I keep my eyes open and whenever I notice somebody doing something, saying something, and I admire something, whether it's their delivery, it could be something very specific or very broad. I will make a note and start to have a note form, a list for myself of the things that I want to work on. And I generally do reach out to people. I have no problem reaching out cold, but I do realize that's not everyone's comfort level. So I think another thing that's been helpful is enlisting other friends to help. Generally, if if you're helpful in making intros to other people, they tend to do the same. One example of this is Alex of Sharebird, who we all know very well. Alex Lopez introduced me to one of my friend tours. And while I don't know that I explicitly said these are the areas I'd love to improve or focus on, he did a heck of a job matching me with somebody just casually who he thought would be a helpful friend tour or mentor. That's awesome. And kind of similarly related, how do you network, especially right now? Wow. That is a funny one for me because I'm a bit of a nerd. So I don't do a ton of offline networking. So I'm comfortable 
online. So I feel like I haven't shifted gears as much as some people have. I tend to, you know, if I read something interesting, I'll reach out to whoever wrote it out of the blue. Nine times out of 10, you get a response if you have a very clear and focused ask or finding somebody who's a warm intro in between that can be helpful. But I found that people are willing to share their expertise, especially if you're willing to give it. So the more that you give it away, offer it, you know, if you reach out to somebody asking for guidance, but you're also willing to share something um, along the same vein, that can be super helpful. That's great advice. And just a couple more questions for you, but if you were to boil it down, what is one thing that has been most important in growing your career? Gosh, this is the one thing without a doubt has been feedback, hard feedback. I think that we all say, or I've said for many years that I'm open to feedback. Candor is a compliment. We have a lot of one-liners that most of us know by heart. It's not until you get really tough feedback that you know if you can walk the walk. And I went through a period a couple of years ago where I got some tough feedback. It was really hard, but I worked through it and even was working with a coach for a little bit, which also helped me stay focused and helped me see the value of feedback and encouraging it and realizing that if it's not weaponized and you find individuals who really are giving you that feedback to invest in your success, it's incredibly valuable. I do think it's a process. I wouldn't encourage everyone to dive in and ask everyone for their toughest feedback. But if you can get yourself to a place where it's a habit of getting tough feedback, it gets much easier and you start to see the benefit of it very quickly. That's really refreshing to hear. Yeah, I know it's a hard pill to swallow, but that can often lead to a lot of growth. So cheers to you for leaning in and getting that feedback up front. So I'd also love to know why product marketing? Why has this been a path that you have continued to follow and continue to grow in? Yeah, I think I discovered it because the first startup I joined, I was in the first customer facing role. And part of that role was doing, you know, five to 10 minute demos, rapid fire, probably seven, eight, nine, 10 a day to articulate the value to a very different set of customers. And I loved the challenge, but I also loved the mix of being very deep in the product, but at the same time, very close to the customer. So I think product marketing has sort of the geekiness and the technical aspects that I love while at the same time, having to translate it just to layman's terms to connect, you know, with very basic needs. So I love that complexity. I haven't been able to find that in other marketing roles. And I think one of the other things that I like about product marketing that's unique relative to other marketing roles is that it's new. It hasn't been around forever. There aren't textbooks and classes. There are some classes, but it isn't as evolved as some other areas. So those of us who are really passionate about it are very passionate about it and are charting the course together. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it's a really tight knit community. I'm sure, as you know, you probably know 20 of the same people. We all care deeply about it, share resources, and we're all very much empowered to figure out what it looks like, how we add value, what are the key metrics, what are best practices. So it feels a little bit like a pioneer mentality. (laughs) I totally agree. (laughs) And last question for you, what's next? What's next for Eliza? What's next for me? So doubling the team. So the big focus on hiring, scaling, testing, and figuring out the right structure. And I think while always continuously focusing on how can we drive more value as a product marketing team? How can we measure the value and how can we deliver on that value? Not only directly, but how can we also empower our partner teams to deliver on that value? So I think it's an ongoing journey and probably never ends. I think we're still at the very beginning of unpacking what product marketing can do. And I think there's a lot more to uncover. 
That's so wonderful. Well, Eliza, I can't thank you enough for joining Women in Product Marketing today. It's been such a pleasure to chat with you. And thanks so much for all of the wonderful insights that you've shared today. Thank you, Mary. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. Women in Product Marketing is proudly supported by Clue. That's Clue with a K, the competitive enablement platform for all product marketers. This podcast is produced by ShareBird, the peer mentoring platform for product marketers. It is the place to discover on-demand resources to help you with product marketing. And if you have any feedback on our episodes, so things that you liked or things you want to hear more of, please send me a note on LinkedIn or feel free to email podcasts at sharebird.com. That wraps another episode of Women in Product Marketing. Be sure to subscribe and share Women in Product Marketing with someone you think will love it. Next week, I interview Sarah Rosso, the Global Head of Product and Growth Marketing at Cloud Blue. Thank you so much for all of your support and catch you next week.